we stand with the Palawa and Bacana of Luchawita, along with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples Australia-wide. We wish to firmly acknowledge that Aboriginal and Torres Strait sovereignty was never ceded. It was, and always will be, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander land. Australia is the only settler colonial state which does not formally recognise the dispossession caused by colonialism. Carried by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and the land and sea which we call home is the world's oldest continuing living culture, dating back to over 65,000 years. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples were the first artists, scientists, creators, storytellers and so much more. Today, and always, we acknowledge and honour the depth and richness of these cultures. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voices will never be silenced. We at Twix will work harder to not only stand alongside, but to amplify Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voices. And we invite you, the listener, to do so as well. We're trying to conduct a serious scientific investigation. Science, logic, reason. Do you have any hard data? Now that's what I call science. Hello listeners, you're tuned into That's What I Call Science, the weekly radio and podcast show bringing you independent and interesting STEM, so that's science, technology, engineering, maths and medicine, to you from Tasmania. This show is supported by Edge Radio, Hobart's premium news station, so head on over to edge.org.au for more information about them. I'd like to begin today's episode by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording, the Palawa and Pakana. We're recording here on Luchwida, but as we are a podcast, I'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land from where you, our listener, are tuning in from. On behalf of everyone here in the studio, I pay my respects to elders past and present. My name is Ollie Dove, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Hannah Moore, and today we're going to be talking about beetles. And no, not the kind that sing and dance, a different kind of beetles. But I'll hand on over to Hannah to tell us more. Thanks, Ollie. Our expert guest today is the fabulous Tessa Smith. Tessa is a PhD candidate at the University of Tasmania. She studied a BSc at Monash University and an honours at Deakin University. Originally from Yarra Valley, Tessa has been in Tasmania for five years and is loving it. Tessa studies the distribution of insect species with a focus on poorly known terrestrial invertebrates, including beetles and true bugs. And she is looking at the factors influencing these distributions. Between studying, Tessa worked on projects investigating insects in urban gardens and invasive species in Switzerland. We know Tessa through the science communication sphere in Hobart. And in fact, Tessa has been a guest co-host for That's What I Call Science in the past. So go and check out episode number 27 on biosecurity in Tasmania if you want to hear more of her voice. Tessa also used to organise Science in the Pub Tasmania, which is a monthly SciComm event featuring three panellists speaking at a local pub. So Tessa, welcome to That's What I Call Science. We're super excited to have you back on here. Uh, Would you mind telling us a bit about yourself and what your passions are? Thanks, Hannah, and thanks, Ali, and um, thank you for having me. Um, Yeah, I'm Tessa. I am here at UTAS doing my PhD at the moment. Um, I am in my 
post third year now, so I'm I'm kind of coming towards the pointy end of my project here in at UTAS. Um, I've been here at UTAS for a few years before I started my PhD. I was working as a research assistant with my research group. Um, moved down to Tasmania for that job. Yeah, I'm studying beetles, but at, you know, outside of doing the PhD, I really like hiking, going out in the wild, doing some martial arts and hang out with my friends playing board games and going folk dancing. With getting out into nature and enjoying that, is that what drew you to beetles and insects or was it the beetles took you into the hiking? Probably being interested in nature first, I would say in general. I grew up in a place called Hillsville in uh, Victoria, which was, we were, you know, 20 minutes from town. We're up on top of a mountain. There's lots of nature everywhere around the house. We had a lot of things like a lot of live birds dancing in our backyards and Um, lots of wombats and birds and insects around. So that was very cool. I think I was very interested in zoology and and just animals in general. Um, It kind of took me until probably honours until I got really interested in beetles. Like in my undergraduate, I actually wasn't even studying insects at all. I studied plants and I studied rocks. So I guess as a whole, like being interested in our whole environment at some level. Um, Certainly, yeah, those... Those are all very interesting things to see on hikes. I still, even though I don't really do geology anymore, I still get very excited about seeing cool folds and stuff when I'm out <laughs> going hiking. And in Tasmania, that's there's plenty of opportunities for seeing sweet rocks on hikes. Um, but definitely, I think I, I, I even came, I feel like, to, to Beatles specifically pretty late, like when I started honours. Uh, I had a very interesting honours project looking at insect remains from a swamp core from a lake from a Polynesia. Polynesian Island and um, that was super interesting to learn about all about you know what um, interesting information you could get from the remains of these insects from this lake and how that could tell you a lot about the environment. I heard earlier this week with another guest recording a quote about beetles and how someone a famous scientist was asked what do you think God's opinion on the biodiversity is or something and they said whatever creatures he loves he loves beetles the most because there's so many they're definitely a fan favorite of his so why are beetles a fan favorite of yours um i think they just are really they're obviously really diverse they're quite a lot of species and they kind of do everything like they're predatory species or species that are herbivorous and eat plants there are some that eat fungi there's a few species that like live on the butts of animals and eat their poop. Um, I've <laughs> currently forgotten exactly what the term of that is. It's not a parasite. It's um, just something that has an interesting different relationship. Oh, like the symbiosis kind of Yeah, that's right. There are of. only a few species. I think most of them are predators and, and oh, doing other cool things. Um, but And things eating seeds. Um, yeah, they're just such a diverse group. And they can really do anything. They can walk. They can fly. They, you know, have a very adaptable um, body plan that allows them to be able to diversify and to do a lot of different things, which is is very cool. I think having the, um, because they have a hard exoskeleton and they have, instead of having two pairs of wings like most insects, they have one that's been modified into a hardened elytra, which sits on top, which the wings are underneath the elytra and I guess this stops them from drying out. It stops. It gives them more protection. So it it kind of is a very adaptable kind of body plan for them to be able to 
get into a lot of environments, which is why they've been so successful at being so numerous. But uh, when we also think about how many beetles species there are, um, there's also a lot of uh, we're also learning a lot more now about how many things like there's a lot of wasps and there's a lot of flies I think and those things that were historically really small and really hard to study I think now are realizing the amount of different um, things in those as well so it's it's not just beetles it's also a few other groups but certainly there are definitely definitely a lot of beetles. So here in Tasmania, you're looking at leaf litter beetles, is that correct? What is the significance of your studies on these leaf litter beetles? Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking at beetles that live in the, essentially the upper part of the soil, the leaf, um, leaf litter area. So it's, it, leaf litter is combined of um, fallen leaves, um, a lot of fungi, um, brick material, dead bodies of various animals when basically anything anything in the forest that doesn't get washed away in the river or burnt ends up in the leaf litter so um the leaf litter is quite an important area because it's the most dense um area of biodiversity in of any kind of area on the planet there's so many different fungi um insects lots of stuff's happening in the leaf litter so it's certainly, and it's very nutrient rich, so that means that there's, you know, there's a lot going on in there. And um, in our Tasmanian forests, we are often, I work primarily in rainforests and wet forests in Tasmania, which make up roughly a third of the land area of Tasmania, so it's, it's quite a large area. Yeah, they're, they're quite thick and they're quite dense and they, they have quite um, diverse areas. And it's something that the ground is it is influenced by things like bushfires and even kind of lower level fires that only burn the ground surface still would influence the leaf litter. And it's something I think that is pretty easy to study, but also, um, you know, very, very important. Amazing. Well, stick with us listeners for part two as we dive deeper into Tessa's current work on beetles, as well as talking more about her other scientific interests. You're listening to That's What I Call Science, and today we're talking about all things beetles. My name is Hannah Moore, and I'm joined by Ollie Dove, along with our expert guest, Tessa Smith, a PhD candidate at the University of Tasmania. So, Tessa, you must do some fieldwork in order to collect your beetles. Obviously, you've done lots of fieldwork in Tasmania. Where else has your scientific research taken you in the world? Well, before I started my PhD, I was working as a research assistant for a variety of universities in some short-term projects. Um, one of them was in the centre of Melbourne. We were looking at insects on different plants in urban gardens and public urban gardens and matching up uh, what species of insects were living on what species of plants. And I had a job observing butterflies in gardens. I spent a lot of time sitting and looking at flowers and trying to find if any butterflies came to them or not. Uh, that was It sounded really cool, but it was somewhat boring when you realised that there wasn't anything going on. Sometimes there were some particular flowers that were really going off with, with getting a lot of different butterflies on them, but for the most part, there wasn't really always very much going on. That was really kind of quite fun activity getting paid to look at 
flowers in gardens. Um, I also had a project in Switzerland where I was kind of doing an internship at the University of Fribourg and we were, I was helping out on a variety of projects looking at um, an introduced plant, Ambrosia artemisifolia, which is the common ragweed which exists in the eastern United States and is introduced across a variety of parts of the world, including Europe, Asia and Queensland, not in the south, unfortunately, and then had an introduced um, beetle, which was actually quite good at eating that plant. So um, I was helping out uh, some researchers who were kind of looking at what impact the beetle had on that plant and also, um, yeah, just just the dynamics of, of uh, what the plant's life stage was and trying to find basically find weaknesses in the plant and how people could kind of control it because... It was a quite a bad invasive species. It, it was very allergenic, so anyone that had any allergies really disliked this plant. Yeah. yeah. Um, but recently in Tasmania, um, I've been able to do a bunch of field work, which was really fun. I um, drove all right, right around Tasmania, and luckily I got a grant to go to Flinders Island also, which was really nice. And I, um, so in my work, I sieve the leaf litter to collect the beetles. So I had to go around and sieve heaps of litter, leaf litter, which um, works to basically you want to you don't want you want to collect as a minimal amount of material in the field as you can, and um, by kind of sieving it and getting rid of all the really large particles, you um, can kind of get a lot of the more heavy stuff like a lot of the beetles and concentrate a lot of that stuff in a bag that you can take back to the university to extract the mount um it's it's a very it's a technique that is used a lot in europe and north america but maybe not use a super amount in in southern australia so, uh, as of so far um uh yeah it's very interesting technique and, and it's a kind of technique that you don't know when you're doing it exactly what you're finding you have to wait you know a few days when you get back to the lab to get all the beetles out of the material so it's kind of a bit of a um uh, surprise as to what you find, you know, how many beetles you're going to find, which is always really interesting. And I can imagine it must, you must get some funny looks when you walk back on the plane with a, a bunch of beetles. I don't know what the permits would be like to fly with that sort of, does it count as bio? Um, yes, definitely. Uh, Tasmania obviously has very secure biosecurity laws and it's really important to make sure that people have the right permits to take things places. Also, that people aren't taking Tasmanian animals out. Mm-hmm. I recently took some specimens to Victoria and back, and and um, I think because I had all my all my permits and stuff in on board, that worked really well. But certainly, I had th- some pinned beetles, and it was very stressful to take them on a plane because they're a bit fragile. So I had to basically keep them on my lap the whole time and really be trying to not bang them around it too, too much so that they didn't fall off their little pins. Oh, yeah. I'm imagining all the little pin ones having a teeny tiny passport each to <laughs> their little documents. Um, yeah, in taxonomic collections, I feel like beetles and the insects and they're just, oh, they're always my favourite bit that you end up spending a lot of time at because obviously it's like exciting to see a lion or a kangaroo but then you get actually to the proper diversity and it's Mm. gorgeous but when you're up in Flinders Island and you want to go and collect leaf litter and get the beetles how do you pick your study site what are you looking for in particular 
well, for me, I'm only going for a few different habitat types. So wet forest and rainforest. So on Flinders Island, it's particularly restricted areas. So there was only a few areas really where we could collect. Um, it also depends a lot on the permit you have for the land tenure area. Um, you need to make sure that you're collecting in the right space. Like um, uh, anyone collecting in national parks, for example, in Tasmania has to always have a permit. And um, luckily we found we had some good contacts with some local landowners um, through some a previous research that had worked there that were able to get us into a few really nice sites. Um, and that was really good. So certainly like making nice connections with the local community is really important to get into good sites because you know, locals always know really good spots. Sounds like you've had quite a lot of adventures in your <laughs> research and you've done a huge diversity of fieldwork and research. What's the most significant or, yeah, the most significant finding you've had or something that you're most proud of from your research? Well, certainly I think in my current project, I have collected a bunch of undescribed species, which is very cool. I think for the every everyday person, that is a really extra cool thing to happen and I think in entomology it's really common to find undescribed species just because there's so many that are undescribed. That's not to say that it's still extremely cool. You get used to finding undescribed species pretty often and yet I think for everyday people like they always get really excited and it's nice to be reminded of actually that is really cool. And there are some that are you know really beautiful and have really interesting colours and patterns which is is, is very cool and, and it, it's going to be really interesting to hopefully see someone writing them up at some point in the future. Um, I know obviously taxonomy takes a lot of time because you really have to prove that any new species you find is, is not any of the currently existing ones. And for terrestrial invertebrates on continents, that might be you know hundreds of species that you or thousands of species that you have to prove that it's not any of those ones. Do you get the opportunity to name them yourself or does someone else name those new species? Whoever is the person that describes the new species will um, give them a name. You're not allowed to name them after yourself, but you can name them after other people. But I think it's often a bit safer to name them after um, like a physical, like historically people would have named them after some kind of physical feature, like whether they have, you know, really big leg or different hairs on a particular part of their body. Um but occasionally he will name them after, give them an honorific name after a person. Oh, so we were talking about butterflies earlier. Um, I believe you've also done some work with moths. Is uh, that correct? Oh, I was just um, volunteering. Um, last year I went and volunteered at the University of Hawaii for a few weeks. I'm helping them um, photograph their moth collection. They were making a, a ID guide of a particular family of moths for biosecurity purposes so that the people that at the border could better um, be able to tell if if there were any moths coming in that were native or introduced or anything like that. Yeah, and I, I got the opportunity to go out with a researcher up into the mountains of Hawaii and to a very intact um, location to go do some moth collecting. We were collecting some cases for those, those moths and it's really interesting to see the variety of different moth cases. I, I haven't really historically worked on moths too much before, but I found that super exciting. And um, there was this one called the CSI moth case where they just used different ex- shared exoskeleton bits of different other um, insects as their case, 
which is very cool. Wow, that's so creepy though. <laughs> yeah, it was very it's very cool, but it was really nice to go to this particular location up in the mountains because Hawaii's obviously had a lot of modification and has a lot of int- introduced species. So um there are some locations that up in the mountains where they're a bit more intact and, and they have a lot more native species, which is very cool. And um, I think on that trip, they rediscovered uh, one particular moth that hadn't been found for about 50 or so years in Hawaii. So certainly it's really nice when you have those good stories of the fact that some things are still existing in little pockets around the place. But if you're not going and looking, that you're not going to find, find them. Stick with us listeners for part three as we take a little dip into Tessa's work in science communication. If you're enjoying the show today, make sure you check us out on Instagram or Twitter at ThatScienceTaz, on our website ThatScienceTaz.org or on Facebook at That's What I Call Science. You're listening to That's What I Call Science, and today we are talking about beetles. My name is Hannah Moore, and I'm joined by Ollie Dove, along with our expert guest, Tessa Smith, from the University of Tasmania. So, Tessa, given your involvement in science communication and outreach, how do you feel about the importance of communicating uh, scientific research to the public? Oh, it's definitely very important. I think it's... Uh, for me, it's something that I think every researcher, you know, should be doing as part of their everyday kind of project. Um, we we all write scientific papers, but, you know, they only ever get read by a certain amount of people. And especially when it's um, research that's been funded by the government and the general public, I think it's it's, you know it's being paid for by the people so the people should know about it and the people probably will find it very interesting so I think certainly if you only publish scientific papers I think you're definitely missing out on a little bit of 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 you know importance in that and people being involved and I think it is very important and it's been really good um I I was involved in SciPub for three years and that was a really good team there led by Emily and Andy Fleece and um, that was a really great thing to do, organising event every month and got to let, meet a lot of um, really interesting researchers and hear about their work and it was a very popular event. A lot, we had a lot of people that came along every month, which was really fun. Yeah, and um, yeah, definitely kind of making it a bit more accessible to the general public is always really good. Obviously, that's what you guys do here, which is also pretty excellent. We are, we're big fans of Science in the Pub. We love it. Yeah, and um, it's also quite a fun event, I think. Yeah. People have a lot of fun with it. Definitely. It's nice when you have a, a general audience and you can do have a bit more fun with it than maybe at a normal scientific conference where you're getting, giving a very standard conference talk. But I think for the general public, you can often you know, make it more fun, I think, and even, yeah have a have a good different time yeah you can add a lot of humor into your talk and just make it fun and very it's very engaging when it's like that so yeah yeah definitely definitely um beetles might not be everyone's favorite insect how do you go about communicating the importance of studying beetles to the public um do you have uh, any kind of particular ways of engaging the community in beetle research and do you encounter any say misconceptions uh, about your research 
I think it's just something that people don't really get the opportunity to interact with on a regular basis. Like a lot of the insects that I study, um, they live in the leaf litter. You mostly can't see them if you go out on a hike necessarily. Some of them are extremely small, like the smaller size is about 0.2 of a millimetre long. So that's a size where you can see it, you can kind of see that it exists on a white surface as in a speck of, of dust, but you can't really interact very much with that thing because it's so small. Um, certainly having really nice images of these specimens, people generally interact with, um, have really good interactions with because it's something that makes it a lot more easy to understand and um, to see the, you know, interesting colours and lots of interesting, you know, hairs and, um, yeah. you know, the way that their legs are folded in a certain way very cute little antennae that I think yeah having really high quality images is, is very important that's a really good tool for the general public that people generally respond to really well um, I think certainly I've not really been able to get very good video footage so much but I think that would be certainly one that I think people would really interact with people tend to love behavior stuff quite a lot yeah there's some absolutely spectacular images of beetles and their colors are incredible Probably my final question for you uh, would be, do you have any fun facts from your field expertise up your sleeve for us? Ooh, fun facts. Um, I always talk to people about Pokemon because um, the the creator of Pokemon was really interested in collecting bugs when they were a child. And uh, I think if you look at Pokemon, you can really see how that makes sense. Like someone's going out and collecting lots of stuff. They're fighting. Some people um, do a lot of, so in some areas of the world, bug fighting, beetle fighting is quite popular. And also the Pokemon go through different life stages from um, in, it's called an evolution in Pokemon, but it's more like a, you know, um, metamorphosis kind of situation that insects generally go through. So, um, or at least uh, things like beetles have multiple life stages from like the egg, a larvae, pupae and adult so, um, yeah, you can definitely, it's very obvious, all of the, the insect links in, in Pokemon. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, it's if people are interested in Pokemon, they could also do stuff like, you know, getting on iNaturalist and going out and seeing how many different insects they can take photos of. That would be very cool. So, yeah, definitely it's, it's a very cool thing that someone's made and you can definitely see the links in there. That's so awesome. And iNaturalist basically is Pokemon Go for the natural world. So, yeah, if you've ever played Pokemon Go, go get on iNaturalist. We had um, a past guest telling us all about it as well because it is such a fab tool for not just beetles, for loads of different types of animals and plants. So thank you so much for joining us today, Tessa. Thank you. Unfortunately, we've run out of time, which tends to be a common theme in all of our episodes that we could go for much longer. But thank you, listeners, for tuning in to That's What I Call Science. We love bringing you STEM-related content, and we hope you enjoyed the show today. If you love the show, you can get in touch with us by searching That's What I Call Science or That's Science Towns on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or even LinkedIn. My name is Ollie Dove, and I'd like to thank my co-host, Hannah Moore, and our expert guests for telling us all about Beatles, Tessa Smith. So from us three, we hope you all have a wonderful week. This program was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. That's what I call science is brought to your station and across the nation via the Community Radio Network.
You can find the show at all major podcast streaming services and find out more about us from our social media channels. Make sure you like and subscribe to keep up with all the exciting science, technology, engineering, maths and medicine research in Lutrita, Tasmania. This show is supported and strengthened by Edge Radio, so head over to edgeradio.org.au for more information about them. Thanks for tuning in today and may your week be stemtastic.